Hi, this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Kitty O'Meara is the author of the picture book, And the People Stayed Home. Kitty lives near Madison, Wisconsin, with her husband, Philip Hagdorn, their five rescue dogs, three cats, gardens, and books. A former teacher of middle school writing and literature and a hospital and hospice chaplain, she's currently a spiritual director. O'Meara has been a lifelong writer and artist, and The People Stayed Home is her first print book, which, by the way, was adapted from a poem she wrote on Facebook at the very beginning of the pandemic that went completely viral, as we will discuss in this episode. Hi there. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks for doing Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have to say... What you do, the way you use your light in the world, Zibby, it's just amazing. Thank you for that. Books are so important. So, so, so important. They're my favorite thing next to my husband and four-legged. So I really appreciate what you do. Thank you for saying that. That makes me feel really good. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think books are so important. And yes, and I love what I do. It's an honor to be able to talk to all these authors and people who are making such a difference in the world. And I get to just like lift up, you know, make sure that everybody Mm -hmm. hears who's interested. Thank you for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. And I'm so excited to talk about you and your, well, the book for one, but really the poem that, you know, set the world on fire here. Would you mind maybe just telling listeners from your perspective, what happened? You were a middle school teacher, hospice, hospice chaplain, I think, and Uh you've been writing your whole life. And then you wrote this poem and it went viral. But you tell me in your words, what happened and how it made you feel. Well, yes, it was March 13th, which was a Friday, almost a year ago now. And Philip and I had already decided to go into lockdown. I had worked in healthcare. He had been a science teacher and just retired. So we both knew, maybe with greater awareness, that it would be safer for us to do that earlier than later. So we did it. And of course, I was concerned about my friends who are still teaching. I was concerned about my friends very much in healthcare because you know, it was being publicized that there was a shortage of PPE. I knew that in the Midwest, it would come in a different wave than what I was watching, you know, every day on the news with Governor Cuomo. So, so there was, there was just a, you know, concern and the inability to do anything when you're in lockdown. And I, you know, I write poems and things and post them on Facebook and, you know, my friend's There are a lot of theater people, a lot of artists, other writers, but also a lot of teachers and healthcare workers. So a lot of people just going, yeah, there's Kitty writing something again. But I wrote this at a lunch break that day. I just kind of set it down as kind of a, uh, oh, you know, a parable, a fable, a little thing you could give to a child and say, 
you see how it went. It wasn't as bad as it, as people might have thought it could be. It could be this wonderful time of healing. Of course, everything in my whole life came into that, that I was an educator, that I have this huge, huge mother instinct that I've always considered myself an artist and love artists. All of those things, the the importance of healing our whole life. It all sort of came into it, but it was also kind of an unconscious moment of writing. It wasn't something I had been kicking around or rough drafted or anything else. I just wrote it for Facebook. You know, just here, guys, have a good day. And I closed my computer. And that night, that night, I went back on just to you know, do the the check through. And a, and a friend said, oh, I like this. May I repost it? And I said, yeah, sure. And I guess it was probably a couple days later that Philip was scrolling through his, his page and said, well, that's odd. A student of mine posted something you posted and you don't know her. And we couldn't figure it out. Then a friend called, a, a doctor friend of mine in Madison called and said the next morning, she said, Deepak Chopra just read your something you wrote. And I said, what now? (laughs) And (laughs) so I, you know, I went to Deepak's page and and saw that. And I couldn't think of the word went viral. I said, Philip, that thing, that thing happened with the thing that I posted. So then we figured it out and laughed at the irony of, you know, going viral during a virus. And then it, it just, it really went viral and, and our lives were kind of upended. And I think I spent about the next three or four months just answering emails and comments on my blog of people soliciting, you know, use of the, of the poem for various endeavors and, you know, enterprises. And so it made my year of lockdown so very different than what it could have been for just the two of us and our four-leggeds and everything, but also, I think, compared to a lot of other people. So it's very hard for me to put it in perspective without, again, pulling the camera back and seeing how spectacularly bizarre and unique it was compared to what a lot of my friends were going through. Wow. And in terms of usage of, you said you were responding so much because on your website Mm -hmm. now on the daily round, it says unauthorized Mm -hmm. use is strictly prohibited. I actually was want to read what you said because you obviously feel very strongly about this. You said, please don't write to me on this or any other post requesting to use this poem as a slogan, a theme song, or any part of a commercial venture designed to sell things we don't need. I reserve all rights to the material for the time being. Using the poem to sell anything is also antithetical to its theme. I wrote it to inspire the creative artist and giver in all of us, not to prop up a corporate structure I believe has contributed to the destruction of humankind, the earth, and all living things. Okay, tell me about that. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that with all gentle peace. I was like, all right, tell me what you really think, Kitty. (laughs) (laughs) I know, yeah, I've never been shy about that. Here's the thing, and and it probably was the specific day I wrote that, too. So you're inundated. I mean, inundated. I I went from zero to a 1,000 miles an hour, and, you know, you're, you're shot into space in terms of 
the emails, the contacts, some some by phone, but not as many. Of course, my voicemail doesn't work very well. So mostly by email and comments on the blog. And I don't have people, you know, (laughs) just this person living in her home without people to do her things. And so I took a lot of sort of, well, to do it with integrity, I felt they all had to be responded to which is another reason I didn't move a lot for three months because I really wanted to get back to people. And most of them overwhelmingly were kind, were complimentary, wanted to use the poem for artwork, wanted to use it to create something and offer it to healthcare workers and frontline workers, to children, to older people who were in nursing homes, things like that. I love that. I really loved working with artists because most of us, the the endeavors were either with no money changing hands at all, or if money were to be made, you know, we could donate it and we could agree on that. So those were wonderful things. But then to be contacted by huge corporations, you know, could we use this for X, Y, Z? It was just so, well, antithetical to really what the the point of the poem was. So, you know, after several of those, I guess I I hit, I guess my (laughs) Irish temper got kicked in that day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's still up there if you need to temper it at all. I mean, not not to say you should. And I was reading... I was reading about the viral nature of, and the uses of it, and that the poem was in like a 26 city something in Romania without crediting you. And like, there were all sorts of bizarre uses of it that who could have ever thought. And now it's Mm -hmm. so great that you've turned it into a children's book on top of everything else. Is it true that Kate Winslet is reading the audiobook? I didn't have time to go check. I read that at first she was attached. She, Kate Winslet did the reading for the books version, books.com, a really cool site, which you've probably covered on your podcast, but yeah. And and I I have to say, when you say I created the book, all credit goes to the people at Tra Publishing. They contacted me on my blog, of course, and we co-created this together. And to me, the artwork and production is phenomenal. I just love it. I love it too. It's amazing. It's like, it's so perfect for now. And it's just beautiful in its own right. I'm holding it up for the mm-hmm. people listening, which you can watch on YouTube. Am I allowed to read the poem or is that appropriation? I don't have to. <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble. No, I don't want to be on his bad side. <laughs> no, can I read it or on, on this podcast or, or not? So, I think or it not? would be wonderful. I'd love to hear you read it. Okay. Well, this is great because then maybe I could just play this and read it to the kids. So I can, on a night that I'm really tired, I can be like, here. <laughs> I've already recorded this for you. Okay. And the people stayed home by Kitty O'Mara and the people stayed home and they listened and read books and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still, and they listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows love that page, by the way. And the people began to think differently and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses and made new choices and dreamed new images 
and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. Oh, beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. So you wrote that though, like the day that everything started. So this was almost like a wish, right? It's a wish that this is what happened. And then it became reality. A lot of it, in fact, with, you know, dolphins and the canals and Venice and like all the things that we saw happening with the world, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't have known that at the time necessarily. Could you, or did you maybe, maybe just from what's happened? Yeah. Some of that was being reported. Yeah. Right. And so then I took that with my, my belief that, you know, we come with gifts and we're here to share them. And I think sometimes the way we've orchestrated our lives and designed the world, we were prohibited from doing that. We don't have time. So I thought, okay, now we have the time to be with the people we love the most, you know, and yes, this is an idealized version. Are there days when these poor parents with their children confined are not all going insane? Well, yes, (laughs) but at least, at least together (laughs) on the bright side. (laughs) Yeah. um, We sure were. (laughs) No lack of togetherness, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was hopeful and wishful. Oh, well, it's it's really inspirational and beautiful and the illustrations which I know I just shared, but especially the one meeting their shadow, the man meeting his shadow and sitting across from his shadow at the table in the dark. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, it's like it's gorgeous. It's haunting and and gorgeous and true and Anyway, so what does it feel like now to know that like a little something you wrote during your lunch break has touched so many people? Yeah, that part is, of course, mystery. And it, well, it always will be, you know, you try to parse it and define it and corral it. And you, you really can't because that, that is the nature of going viral. It, it's completely out of your control and you can't pull it back in, no matter how strongly you request that it, you know, people be careful with how they use it. So you do, it, it's been an amazing spiritual journey for me as well, in terms of letting go, surrendering, limiting myself, limiting my energy, focusing it again, refocusing it again. You know, it's an experience that is, I would say, you know, again, here I am taking mystery and making it, you know, confining it to logic and math but I'd say it's about 90% blessing and gift and 10% of it I could have done without. So that's, that's not a bad deal at all. I don't think, I think that's, that's a, that's amazing. That's a, that's a, that's an A minus, right? Yeah. (laughs) It's fine with me. (laughs) I'll take an A minus on any project. That sounds good. (laughs) Especially when you're not prepared. (laughs) Yeah. You didn't even know you were taking a class and all of a sudden you got a grade. (laughs) That's right. Right. Wow. Well, now that this whole thing has happened to you and changed your life and touched other mm-hmm. people and all the mm-hmm. rest of it, yeah. how does that make you rethink? And of course, we're still in this, right? I don't know if you've had your vaccine yet, where you are, or it's one. it's coming soon. One of them. Okay. So we're, we're approaching, hopefully, God willing, the end of this. Mm-hmm. What do you want life to look like after for not just you, but for all of us? What do you think it will look like? And what do you what do you hope it will look like? Well, you know, the news of the world, specifically here, is not the cheeriest. I had hoped, as I think everyone probably had, for a little more peace, a little more, or a lot, a greater greater calmness in our approach to each other. 
you know, what we're seeing in Washington is not, I think, what anyone wants to see. But I think those of us who have been in lockdown all this time and sort of the great unheard masses here, other than through our votes, you know, may come out of this differently. And I don't know how that will look, but what I guess I would would hope would be that there would be a slower pace to our to our being, you know, not that we'll walk slower, driving slower would be all right with me, but just, you know, not take so much on our plate, contemplate more during the day, what lies before us, what our choices are and what our responsibilities are. See where kindness can come in, because I think we've seen great acts of kindness and those aren't promoted and televised and they're not in the Times and the Post as much as the things that will get us riled and excited and hyperventing very quickly. And I think they're true. They're real. I've seen them. I've heard them. I've heard stories about them from others. And we can take those things in and this experience. Certainly, we know more about each other. There's no way we could escape that if we live in a family and we've been in lockdown together. And I think people who are creative will have used this time ably, and I'm excited to see the art that will come out of it and is coming out of it. Some friends of mine now who are in New York and have connections with Peru, they're mostly from Peru, they have a jazz band, and tonight they're releasing their album on a Zoom, and it's called Social Distancing, and it's bookended by their version of this poem, actually, their musical jazz version of this poem. And, you know, I think these ideas that have been seeded during this time of what we can be perhaps will bloom and blossom in the days to come. And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that we'll see things we hadn't expected, that creative people will be putting together new ways for us to to live, (laughs) to meet climate change and all it's going to require of us. I'm curious to see if during this time people have begun to learn they can do with less or, you know, if there's such hunger and thirst that there'll be a sort of a, a rush to get back to the way things were. And I'll tell you, as a chaplain working, you know, spiritually with people at the end of life or facing these these dire diagnostics, you know, I'd always I'd always ask them, what would healing look like for you? And you would hear, you know, of course, a wide variety of answers. And, you know, some people wanted to just get back to the way it was. But you can't because it's not that way anymore. Now you have had, you know, a coronary artery bypass. Or now you have received, you know, information that the end of your life is coming sooner than later. And so now... It's not what it was. And so what, what will healing look like now? Because our belief was always, you know, as, as spiritual care providers, that any kind of healing, you know, can happen right to the last breath. So what is healing for you now? And what does that look like? And I guess that's what I, I would ask our world. That's what I would certainly ask our country is what does healing look like? And what part of that are you able to contribute to with the gifts you've been given. I think I got off track there. Sorry. No, that was great. (laughs) This is what, this is, I don't usually talk about this, but this is my book that I got done during the pandemic in 
to all your points about, you know, creativity and whatever. This is my contribution and all proceeds are going to COVID research. But anyway, I collected a bunch of essays from other authors and yeah, you know, I feel compelled to do my part, right? I feel like we all have to do what we can do. And, you know, I am not skilled in medicine or anything else, right? But I can collect stories help well, hopefully help people read them. So <laughs> yeah, not, and don't diminish it. Be proud of that because that is a gift. And as I said at the beginning, that's your light and it's shining. And that's exactly, it's exactly what we should be doing. And it's different for every single one of us. And, you know, it doesn't have to be what we, what people think of as the arts, but what I like is that you bring the idea of art into what it is you do. So what is the art in the job before you find it. And, and for me, that means that you're creating, you're constantly evolving and making it something new and inviting contribution and co-creating with the people around you and their gifts. And, you know, it's a good time for that. And I think too much, we look at what it's a bad time for, you know, it's the, the it's bad, the pandemic. Oh my God, it's bad climate change. Yes. Yeah. We're way behind on these things, but we're capable of, you know, putting our creativity and intelligence to work and tackling these things. And, you know, my little book, your wonderful collection of essays, these little things that we do, they help. And I I do want to mention that Stefano Cristofaro and Paul Pareda are a big part of that book with their artwork. Like I say, it was just this wonderful co-creation, this team working together to make it as well as beautiful as they could. And those Zoom meetings were just joy, just pops of joy for me throughout the year. Well, I feel like the art in this book should be used in other ways. And I'm not sure what plans you have for it or whatever, but no, I they're like, right? I mean, yeah. not to say it should be necessarily wallpaper, but it could be. No. I mean, it could be anything. Could be. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know. it's so I pretty. It, it should it be like- dishes um, and tablecloths. Plates, Yeah. Yeah. I'm no, thinking tableware. I'm totally thinking tableware. A yes. Staying home collection. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Wrapping paper. Beautiful. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's really gorgeous. It anyway. Enough of, um, so you. are you going to, yeah. are you going to write? Are you going to keep, I mean, you see, I'm sure you are writing for yourself all the time anyway, but are you yeah. going to try to write- for publication going forward? they Yes, Tra is actually has taken on a second book. It's called The Rare Tiny Flower and it's being illustrated and will be on launched. <laughs> it always sounds like we're shooting it out to space. It will be launched next fall with the oh, season. And, right. And I, I just finished a third and, you know, I never saw myself particularly confined to picture books and I, I'm not confined, but even that I would be the author of picture books because I am not a visual artist other than I, I like photography, but, you know, I do see, I think I'm a very visual learner and I, I see what I'm creating when I write it. So it's a very happy marriage for me at this point in my life to write picture books. I'm, I'm having so much fun because, you know, I, I'm, it's just fun to, to be with a team working to me is ecstatically joyful. And I have never been a team person ever in my life. I always wanted to do it myself. I hated when I, I went back for all these degrees and my first time through with my theater degree, my English degree, you know, you did your work, you turned it in, you got your grade, da, da, da. 
then when I went back to school, it was always teamwork this and teamwork that. And I was like, oh, God, because there's always people who don't want to do it. And you end up, you know, picking up the slack. And and I think I'm just I've always been kind of bossy. That's just who I am. I have my ideas. I see the end product. I'm kind of a neat freak. I want to, you know organize it and do it. So this is a revelation and it's a real joyful one at this point in my life to be working with these wonderful people. And they're all so kind and nice. And we have so much fun at these meetings and it's just, it's bliss. Amazing. I love hearing that. Wow. Well, I think you also have a memoir in you if you ever feel like writing it, because (laughs) I think you have such a unique sort of soulful look at the world. And I think your experiences as a hospice in the hospice world and all this end of life information. I think Mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a story there, but you can think. There probably is. It's a very illuminating pursuit. You know, people think chaplains just walk in and hold hands and say prayers. And that's so much not what it is that, yeah, it's a very great gift to be with people at the end of life. It's just illuminating. You know, it is, it's literally like you're in the light and things are falling away from who you are, all the things that don't matter, all the things that you fret and worry about. And it, and it's not because they're dying. It's because you're seeing so much more about what life is, that it does include death and that death is not to be feared, you know, that it it's this amazing, amazing stage of life and you get to witness it and be with it. And also, you know, it's, it's precarious, but I also think further illuminating as, as the spiritual care provider, because you are, it is not your heart loss, which is not to say you don't get pretty intimate with people fairly quickly when they're sharing things with you that they never share with their family. But I'll tell you, and and I know this is going off track, but it's so cool. I think it's such a neat thing about it is some of the things they share with you that they won't share with their family are seeing their their dead spouse Mm -hmm. over the last several months or years. And, And they don't want to share that with their children because they're afraid their children will not honor it or put them into a nursing home, you know, and doubt their stability and which is sad, but the stories themselves are just pure gift. So you should call it and the people passed. <laughs> and then it should be a whole collection of your music. I can see the whole thing. So I don't know. You can you can email me. You're we can work editor. on it. To- <laughs> we can work on it together. <laughs> yeah. That would be You're fun. Interested. Anyway. Yes, I think it would be fun. It would be fun. I think it would be more than fun. I think it would be help- so helpful for people who fear death and who need that connection and insight that you are in a unique position to provide. But anyway, yeah. anyway, so do you un- have any advice to aspiring authors? Yes. Don't give up. You know, I, I quit teaching to write and tried to publish two books I wrote for middle school, middle grade, excuse me, quite a while. You know, you get frustrated. It, it, there are so many hurdles and so many ins and outs and so many connections you don't have that you see would help if you did. And all of that, you know, it's, it's, it's not the romantic, oh, you know, just do like Scott Fitzgerald, you know, and write your short story and send it into the post and, you know, Maxwell Perkins or whatever, whoever that was, what, you know, they'll, they'll take it, they'll write it. They'll, you're safe then everyone knows who you are and you 
got your career established. It, it just isn't like that. And it's quirky and harder than that. What I will say is I've come across so many people younger than myself who have found through technology ways to promote themselves and get themselves seen and heard and read that to me, that's wonderful. But I would say, don't give up, which I, I'm sure sounds tedious, but it's the truth. And also, I think, you know, get truer and truer and truer to who you are. And don't don't worry about people saying, we don't like animal books. We don't want this. We're not looking for that. You write what you are. That's all that little piece was on Facebook. It was it, everything I am and not looking to please anyone. It wasn't about that. It was about the writing. It was about the words. It was about the meaning. And I think if you do that, you might be surprised what happened. That's great advice. I love that. Wow. Well, Kitty, thank you. Thank you for sharing your time with me and your story and all of your insights and thoughts. And I really appreciate it. Well, I do too. This is so much fun. I just love it. And I do love your podcast. I collect podcasts and I listen to them at night in bed if I'm not able to sleep. So it's it's been a real gift. Several of yours recently especially have touched me deeply. And again, I just really thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great day and thank you for your time. You too. Take care. Okay. Take care. Be well. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 